you in very remote parts of the world and some difficult areas and we were sharing together a few days ago God bless you God be with you because he is with you amen okay hungering and thirsting for righteousness has it begun to stir you yet sometimes the the things that are so important perhaps it's the way they're taught boring heavy sometimes it's the 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 number that the devil does on us saying God watch out for him because he will find out what fun you're having and stop it whatever it is we've got to get over it he just quoted the verse in, the, in his little offering talk to the Christian. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek his righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And even the phrase, I must say, even to this very day in my own brain, righteousness. I've got to ask myself again, what is it? What does it mean? Righteousness. It sounds like a label that belongs to something else. Righteousness is living right. We know throughout the series I've been emphasizing how important it is to distinguish between the gift of righteousness that is given to us free of charge, which has absolutely nothing to do with our behavior at all. God justifies, declares righteous the ungodly who believe. A transaction takes place. He takes our unrighteousness and gives us in exchange his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is the grace foundation of our life. And that means that however well we do, or even however badly we do as believers, it does not affect how God feels about us and it does not affect how God sees us he sees us as perfectly righteous in Christ but the righteousness that we've been focusing on these last four weeks has more to, to do with the outworking of daily holiness in our lives it's about how God calls us to live right he doesn't just give us the free gift of declaring us right with God he leads us in the paths of righteousness and you could put it this way it sounds very very simple but it's true God loves us exactly as we are but he loves us too much to leave us that way and that is a concept that still we find difficult to grasp we know it is true we know it's in the Bible that he loves us too much to leave us that way meaning that the way of sin is destructive to us it actually devalues us it hurts us it actually leads us away from life and therefore the righteousness that he says I want you to walk in this I want you to live like this is for our good and that's what I want to talk about today the rewards of righteousness and there is a whole nother message on the whole Bible teaching on the doctrine of rewards. And I'm not going to get into that. 
because that's really a whole series. And I know that when we come to that, we talk about what are the rewards that Jesus has for us. That will take a lot of explanation, and um, I want to reserve that perhaps for another series. But at least this is a foundation for it, because it, almost in every breath in the scripture where God calls us to do something, he reminds us of the be benefits and the blessing that there is in going his way. Even that uh, beatitude that I quoted just a moment ago from the Beatitudes, from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, what's the reward? They shall be filled. And the word filled, I know it well in the French, rasassier. It means so filled and satisfied. And the, the big thing is, is that we actually believe, still struggle with this godly up, uh, belief, that it's sin that satisfies. We still struggle with that. Maybe many of you have already overcome this this idea that gross sin will satisfy you, you know, like robbing banks and, and, and running away with the organist, or we don't have one, so it's no, nobody's implicated there, uh, or, or sexual sin, or, or living, living the kind of gross immorality that is often, you know, the, the, the big target of, of holiness preachers and all that kind of stuff. All right? M many of you will say, okay, well, I know that that's wrong, and I, I've avoided all of that. Well, thank God. And by the way, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you're still struggling with those things, listen carefully today, because there's some good news for you, something that will help you. But the other things, which we might call the deeper things of the heart, are just as ungodly in the sight of God. I mean, somebody was just talking about worry and anxiety. And you know, that is as much sin as sexual immorality. Did you know that? It's a sin to worry. It's as much a sin to worry as is it a sin to commit murder or any of the other things. And so now we get a bit uncomfortable. What is this righteousness that God talks about? Well, it's a righteousness that is so focused on Jesus Christ and with such total faith that his way is right that we are prepared to follow his way no matter how it makes us feel. Because we know that afterward we're going to be thankful and we're going to be happy. The pleasures of sin are for a season, but when you take up the cross, there are some agonies of the cross before we get to the joys of resurrection. And I believe that's the ultimate explanation of walking and living by faith. And I want to say right at the outset that walking with God is richly rewarding. Now it's an assertion, and it's very easy to make assertions like that. But let's have a look at a scripture. Hebrews 11, verses 5 to 6. It's a flow of verses which come to what you may predict I'm heading to. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him for... He who comes to God must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's going to be very hard to seek God diligently if you did not believe that his way was best and that he is a rewarder. Now, before we go any further, 
throughout this message, if I talk about reward, please do not think that I'm talking about God blessing us because we're being good. Or God blessing us because we're doing good works. As if we now, after all that grace teaching, are coming back under the law and find at the end of the day it's still about what we do and it's still about our effort. No. When we are pursuing God like this, we are pursuing Him out of a heart that has been so changed with an attitude of mind that's been so renewed with a spirit that's been so transformed that we are thirsty for God because we believe that God and the things that He wants and the things that He provides is the most satisfying experience of all. However, deep down, Many of us still struggle with the belief that God is a rewarder. We still somehow believe that He is a withholder. Now how do we believe this? How does this work? Have you ever been in a situation where, quite frankly, you see two paths ahead of you? And you know that if you turn one way, you are going your way. Your way. And the other way is God's way. And you look at that and you say, you know what? My way seems so much better than God's way. And frankly, God's way seems to be difficult, painful, unrewarding, and not very, very exciting. But my way seems so completely right. It seems so fitting. Um, because... It, it seems so satisfying. It's going to give me this choice, this path is going to give me what I'm really looking for. It's going to give me pleasure. It's going to give me satisfaction. It's going to give me fulfillment. And God's way seems to be dry and barren and there's nothing in it for me. Apart from, well, I know I ought to go that way. But having to is not the same as wanting to. Anybody know that? Experience that? The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, or a woman, for that matter. But its end is the way of death. Powerful words. Now, when it's talking about life and death here, don't automatically think that he's talking about physical death and physical life. To some extent, that can be involved in this, most definitely. But it's not the end of the road, life or death. It's the journey that God's talking about. Life is a journey. It's following Christ. It is experiencing God's kingdom in your life now. So there is more to life than having breath in your body. Some people say, is there life after death? Other people say, is there life after birth? In other words, is there life before death? We're talking about there being more to death than simply drawing your last breath. You can be alive on the outside and merely existing on the inside. And that's true of many believers. Don't think that just because you're a believer, you're going to automatically be living in the, in the abundant life that Jesus has for you. Now, presence, company excluded, we're far too polite. But look around sometimes and have a look at some Christians around you and you think, my goodness me, I think they don't seem to have so much abundant life about them. And sometimes just look inside in your own life. 
So we have to ask the question, do we really believe that God's way leads to life? With a capital L. Proverbs 12 verse 28 tells us it does. In the way of righteousness is life. And its pathway there is no death. What this is telling us is if we live right by faith, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated by that work of God's love in our hearts, if we walk in righteousness, we experience God's rich and abundant life. Now there has to be something that changes here in your mind. That's why I turn you now to Romans chapter 12 which is the great passage talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's read it together, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God here God is saying you can come to a place where you're absolutely convinced in your mind that the most reasonable the most logical the most correct the most fitting the most acceptable thing for you your your most reasonable choice your the choice that you would wish to make above everything else the choice that you desire to make above everything else is to give your life completely to Jesus Christ and to walk in his way and he says as you make that decision as a choice as an act of your will based on a complete rejection of the lie that sin satisfies and a complete acceptance and commitment to the truth that Jesus alone satisfies when you do that two things are going to happen your mind is going to be renewed you're going to constantly reject that stinking thinking that says my way is the best and accept and know for yourself as a fact that God's way is best that's the first thing and secondly you're going to prove it in your experience you're going to prove that God's way even the painful way the way of the cross God's way is good you're not going to chase anything if it's not good we are motivated to go for what we think is good and when you understand that God's way is good you're going to be so motivated and step by step you're going to prove it God says, you've got the whole of your life ahead of you. Prove it every day of your life. Prove that my way is good, acceptable, which means totally acceptable to you. And it's the perfect will of God. And when you see that God's way is good, perfect and acceptable, you're proving it. The only way you can prove it is by trying it. There's the only way you prove it by doing it. And when that happens, things are going to transform in your life. So how do we go about this practically? First of all, we need to have a revelation and know that we are pleasing to God. That's, it has to begin there. Do you see that in the first, first verse? I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which means that you have died with Christ and now you are alive as a new creation, resurrected from the dead, what do you do with your unemployed status? Well, you get employed. 
you surrender your body to do the works of Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice, holy, because he has made you holy. You don't strive to be holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy because you are special to God. You are holy and acceptable to God. Do you know how strong this word is? Acceptable to God. It means you are well-pleasing to God. God looks at you and says, I'm well-pleased. Amen. Just as he looked over Jesus' life and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. We are as well-pleasing to God as Jesus is because God has accepted us in Christ. And if you don't recognize that and know that, you will never live a holy life. Because it will always be about trying to prove yourself acceptable to God. You'll always be thinking, what do I have to do to be acceptable to God? Every little thing you do wrong, it'll be like, God's going to reject me now. Or everything you do right, say, that's not enough. You'll treat God like a very harsh parent who when you get brought your report card home and you find that you got three A's and three A pluses and the, the, the parent's not satisfied, I want six A pluses next time. And you know that you never quite measure up. There's always something more that you can do. And when you've done everything to almost perfection, you still don't feel accepted because nobody can ever feel genuinely accepted if it has to do with our behavior. If it's a performance-based acceptance, it's always making us fearful and nervous. They used to say to us in the dance company that we were as good as our last performance. That was great because you know, there's not a lot of issue. I mean, you know, the, any career, it's not a matter of life or death. It's about, you know, serving God as best as you can. But you were as good as your last performance. You did a bad performance, you'd be worried about your contract. That's not what God is about. That's not what the Christian life is about. In fact, when we fall and fail, He is always there as we surrender to Him to lift us up again. We thank God for the ongoing, continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are up front, accepted, totally accepted. How do, you, how do you get to that? Well, how about believing the good news? Let's just start there. God is love and He loves you. And as you draw close to God in that belief that He loves you, you will discover who He really is. That He is a rewarder and not a withholder. Secondly, we need to renew our mind. Because believing the good news is a crisis moment when we step from the old into the new but we still have to renew the patterns of our thinking that's why if you've not yet registered for living free never done living free it's the second week this tuesday and there's still time you won't you'll be able to catch up after the first week you see the living free program the teaching is about understanding that a miracle can happen in a moment Deliverance can happen in a blink of an eye, but transformation takes time. We have to learn how to renew our minds. We have to replace the old ways of thinking with the new ways of thinking in Christ so that we can change the old ways of behaving. 
and, and, and transform the way we live by the power and the grace of God. So we have to clarify our thinking and the most important thing to change is this, this belief which is a lie that we still hold on to. And I think, friends, let me speak openly. I believe we have to struggle with this kind of unbelief all our lives on this planet. Because it's fleshly thinking. And as long as we are in the flesh, or have the flesh, and the flesh influences us, we have to fight this every day, every single day, to remind ourselves, God's good, the devil's bad. It's that simple. God's good, the devil's bad. Amen. It's that simple. And if God says it, it's good. Go for it. I don't, I don't feel like it. Forget it. God's good. Go for it. God is not against you. He is for you. He only wants one thing for you, and that's the best. Amen? Amen? And even at times, when it doesn't seem that way, it still is true. We know that in our own relationships. And I think in my leadership, there have been times when I've known what somebody needed. Think of a man who was on the staff, making very good progress, doing very well. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, there's something lacking here. And I'd like you to experience a form of ministry that will challenge you and that will strengthen you and that will add to you. And I said to him, I said, this is what I want you to do. And he was angry. He said, I don't want to do that. I said, I understand you don't want to do that. I don't feel called to do that. I understand you don't feel called. But at the moment, it's not about you feel called to do. It's about what I'm asking you to do. We had a bit of a struggle. But he did it against his better judgment. He did it. And he served God. And he did a good job. And afterwards he said, do you know, you were so right. This is exactly what I needed. I didn't think you were right. I didn't believe you. In fact, I wanted to reject this and rebel against it. I had some resentment to deal with. But I'm so glad that I listened to you because I now see the benefits. So the next time round, I said to him, I said, well, look, do you know what? You have so progressed and developed that there are three major positions which are opening in our, in our organization of ministry. Three, and every single one of them, I reckon you'd love them. And I'll tell you something, you could do any one of those. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm not even going to ask you. I'm going to say, choose. Choose. He looked at me and he said, I'll choose this. And he chose out of those three things what he desired to do more than anything else. So he got where he felt he wanted to be. But it was a hard road. And at times he had to rely on a senior leader, a wisdom of a senior leader to say, in order to get there, you need to go here. Amen? What about our own kids? There are many, many times when as parents, with our age, our experience, and our wisdom, we can see a path for our children. And uh, I'm not talking about controlling their lives. I'm talking about giving them the right kind of advice that will help them make the right kind of choices. It has to be their choice. And you know, at times they have to say, do you know what? I'm just going to accept this. I don't understand what you're saying. And what you're saying doesn't sound right, doesn't fit me now. But do you know what? You're my mum, you're my dad. 
I accept this. I accept that you have my best interests. I accept you have wisdom. And I accept God is with you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow that. Amen. And afterwards, they're so grateful. It doesn't work every time. Sometimes mum and dad are so fleshly and so worldly that you need to pray very hard about how to say no to mum and dad without dishonoring them. Amen and amen. Anybody been there? Sometimes. Amen. So, what we do first of all is recognize that God delights in you. Secondly, on the basis of Him accepting us and delighting us in us, we do what He wants us to do. Whether it delights us or not. And we keep on doing it. Whether it delights us or not. And we keep on doing it until we discover how delightful it really is. Amen and amen. And that takes faith. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about not just believing. I'm talking about acting in line with your beliefs. Living as if God is right. Because guess what? He is right. Amen. What good is it to say, thank you for this wonderful, infallibly inspired word, but you know what? I'm not going to do what it says here because I know better. Now, inside us, sometimes when God calls us down a certain route, we think, do you know what? With everything that is in me, I can't see how this is going to bless me. But because you've said it, I will do it. My logical reasoning says it's not going to work. My emotions scream at me and say, you're going to hate this. But because God said it, and because I trust Him, and because He loves me, and so wonderfully accepts me, I am going to do what He says because Father God knows best. He really does know best. And we can trust Him. So this is not just saying that God's way is best, but living as if we believed it. Living in accordance with His will. Which means putting off the old things. Putting on the new things. Doing these things whether they make you feel good or not. After all, what kind of moral guidance is this? If it feels good, it's right. Hello? Is that how we live our lives as Christians? Or is that not the philosophy of the world? Does not Paul say, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be influenced by its thoughts and by its philosophies. And the philosophy of the world is the philosophy of the flesh. If it feels good, do it. Well, this feels good. It's got to be good. How can something that feels so good, that feels so amazing, those stupid Christians in those churches, they don't know how to enjoy themselves. They don't know how to find fulfillment I will show them a good time. Friends, friends, if it feels good, do it. It's not a good philosophy. Hello? Some of you are looking at me as if I'm speaking to you from Mars. Well, this is foreign thinking because this is not from this world. This is thinking from heaven. This is spiritual thinking. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Hallelujah. Amen. And the well, amazing thing is, is that when you do this, you begin to discover that the fruits of righteousness are so much more pleasure 
than the fruits of sin. Those are rotten fruits. You begin to prove to yourself that God's way is good and perfect and acceptable. Psalm 34 verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. So it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of faith. God says, trust me. You do this now, you're going to thank me later. I know right now you're going to struggle with this. I know right now your emotions are going to go all over the place. I know right now that this decision is going to be painful. It's going to cost you. But listen to me. Follow this. Trust me. And I will prove to you what I can be to you. And you will be so glad that you did. Can we have an amen in the house? Amen. Another way of putting this is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful isn't that the truth isn't that the truth yes. nevertheless afterward everybody say afterward. afterward how long is afterward we have no idea <laughs> afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it here is the order this, what I'm about to say, is as old as Christianity itself, I think. I'm not the first to say it. I heard this 40 years ago, and in 40 years' time, it will still be true. The order is first, the facts, then the faith, finally, the feelings. First, the facts. You're believing the facts, don't make them true. They are true whether you believe them or not. So the facts, the facts of God's character, the facts of His personality, the facts of His truth, the facts of what He commands us to do. And we let those facts renew our thinking. Then we put our faith in the facts. When you put your faith in a fact, you actually commit yourself to it. Simple illustration is, you all came and put your faith in the fact that you believe the chairs in Kensington Temple will support you even if you have not quite yet lost the extra Christmas kilos you still say this chair you didn't even think about it you did not even think about it fact these chairs are supportive and you put your faith in that fact you sat in the chair the kind of faith I'm talking about is not just saying yeah I believe it I don't do it but I believe it this kind of thing that says, yes, I believe in evangelism. I don't do it. I believe in missions. Praise God. I don't do it. I don't even pray about it. don't even give, let alone go. But I believe in missions. What good is that? What good is that? The devil can have that kind of faith. But when we put our faith into action, then something happens. It produces fruit. So first, first facts. Secondly, faith. And finally, coming up the, the rear, the feelings, the facts become experienced as real in our lives. Amen. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the reward of righteousness. So, first of all, as I said, know that you are pleasing to God that he delights in you secondly do 
what delights him until it begins to delight you also. Then, thirdly, you will discover the joy of loving obedience. As we do what the truth tells us, then Jesus increasingly manifests his reality into our experience. And we discover that he can be to us what we never thought that he could. Which is why we were ever tempted to get involved in sin in the first place. Larry Crabb in his book Understanding People says, We learn many truths, but how do we become deeply, unshakably, and experientially convinced of them? Jesus promised he would make himself known in a rich, full, and personal way to those who knew his teachings and obeyed them. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Remember that old song? How many people have ever sung that old song? Okay, it's me and a couple of grannies. And some people who went to Sunday school from a very, very young age. Okay, now in John chapter 14, we have this taught by Jesus. And I want, to, want you to give every weight to every word here. Because every word is true. And I'll help you, or at least show you how I understand it. John 14 verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Do you love Jesus? Amen. I'm sure you do. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my word. He doesn't just say, if you love me, you should. He says, if you love me, you will. And if you don't keep my word, you don't love me. That's very simple, isn't it? Very simple. Now then, let me pause right here because Jesus is talking to saved people. He's not saying, listen guys, I've been with you for three, three and a half years. Now it's about time that you actually believed in me and I'll show you how to get to heaven. No, it's not about preaching the gospel. He's talking to saved people. He's talking about how we can grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. How we can grow in our love for Christ. And how we can grow in our experience of His love. Very important thing to understand. First of all, Jesus said, He who has my commandments. Verse 21. Very important. Has my commandments. 
Now, I spend a lot of time in this church, and I know other Bible teachers here the same, pointing out that we are not under the law of Moses. That the Christian life is not about trying to obey the law. That we have been delivered from the law. That the Ten Commandments and everything else in the law of Moses has absolutely nothing to do with us at all. And so people say, well, does that mean we can do as we like? No, 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 no. Because we are not in a relationship with Moses and Moses' law. We are in a relationship with Jesus Christ who is a greater than Moses. Our obedience is not to the law of Moses. Our obedience is to Christ, the Lord of Moses and the Lord of everything else. And in fact, when we are walking with Jesus Christ, in obedience with Jesus Christ, our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who kept Moses' law without fail. No, 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 no. We are followers of Christ. And He is Lord. So we're not under law, but we're under the Lord. The Lordship of Jesus. And when Jesus says it, remember who says it? The one who has all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth. And when he says it, he speaks with authority. The highest authority, greater authority than Moses. But it's not a law. It's a relationship. It's, if it's a law at all, it's the law of love. Amen. He who has my commandments. What Jesus said, he said as Lord, his teachings are not merely good suggestions. And by the way, before you go down a wrong line of interpretation, the Old Testament, including the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments, has a lot to teach us. We go to the law to learn a great deal, but we interpret the law through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? So all scripture is inspired by God and is given to us. It's profitable. All scripture, even the Ten Commandments is, is, is profitable to us. But we don't follow it as a law. We thank God that the Holy Spirit teaches us to worship God and have no other gods before Him. Teaches us that we should not lust or covet. Amen and amen. amen. So don't think that I've just dismissed the entire Old Testament. There are some grace teachers who do that. Who say what I just said a moment ago and then conclude that we don't bother with the Old Testament at all. And, and even for that sake, for that matter, don't even bother with the teaching of Jesus because he was a Jew under the law, teaching other Jews under the law. So we say we reject the Old Testament, don't bother with it too much, just heavily spiritualize it. Even the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, has nothing to do with us. And then they go on to say, we follow Paul. Well, I want to ask you a question. Was Paul crucified for us? No, we followed Jesus. And, and Paul followed Jesus. There's no contradiction between Paul and Jesus. Not at all. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ is in Paul. Amen and amen. Now that's another whole, whole topic. So, Jesus' teaching is not just good suggestions. They are commands. And they are, have greater authority even than the law of Moses given by God. Because when Jesus came, he changed everything. Before it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And Jesus says, no, no, love your enemies. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament law it was, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even let your eye lead you astray. Amen. 
He who has my commandments. And all the teaching of Jesus is summarized in the command that we are to love one another. Which presupposes that we love God because we love because he first loved us. He says, he who has my commandments and does them, that person loves me. In other words, loving Jesus is demonstrated and expressed through obedience. I mean, this really is Sunday school simplicity, but it's true. And we need to remind ourselves every day. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, Jesus said. This doesn't mean to say that if a believer is disobeying God, he doesn't love Jesus at all. It just means at that point, in that thing, he is not loving God. That is not love for God. What he's doing is not love for God. And, and we can make many excuses, and we're very good at rationalizing, and saying, well, of course, God understands for everybody else. Yes, God understands. Yes, for everybody else. One man, one woman. But I'm a big preacher, and God knows my pressures, so he can give me two women. Oh, and we laugh, but I've heard it. Not just heard it, I've seen it true oh deception truly truly the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked thank God for the Holy Spirit who can help us it does not mean that the person who is a believer who is sinning does not love Jesus at all or is not saved it just means at that point he's not putting his faith in the fact of Jesus love and not putting that faith into practice. And remember too that when he says about loving me and obeying me, he's talking about loving obedience, not just obedience. Mere obedience is not enough. Just doing the right thing is not enough. It's very simple to understand that. Doing the right thing, reading our Bible, praying, giving in the offering, we can do all of that, but our hearts can be far from God. We can be involved in any practice of Christianity, praise, worship, this people honor me with their lips, their heart is far from me. We can say, Lord, 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 but don't do as he says. So it's not just about obedience. It's about loving obedience. Many people live the same kind of obedience that the elder brother lived on the farm. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He never left the farm, did he? He was always there. He was there at six o'clock in the morning, working till six o'clock at night, laboring every day. He didn't do anything wrong, but he had no relationship with the father. There are some believers who, who wouldn't put a foot wrong. They definitely tithe on their gross income. Not even their net income, their gross income. Wouldn't even think about doing anything wrong. So careful to do everything right. But inside their hearts are so yearning for real intimacy with God. You see, loving obedience flows from relationship, from our hearts. Some of these people can seem very moral, correct, and even spiritual. Their heart is far from God, no intimacy. There's no joy, no liberty, no power in their lives. It's almost entirely external. When we spend time with them, we think, my, my, they're very disciplined. But we don't feel like drawing closer to Jesus. They're serving God out of a bull am I, not fellow willingness. Have you heard those two words? Bull am I, that's kind of reluctant obedience. Fellow is passionate obedience. 
When Jesus says, if anyone desires to follow me, the word desire is thelo. It means deep, passionate desire that says, I see in you what I want, what I need, and I'm thirsty for you. Passion. Bull am I as well. I have to, so I'll do it. This reluctant acquiescence to God's will has no passion about it at all. And there are people who reluctantly do because they know this is what we do here. They join a cell. Why? Because, well, their friends are there and anyway, it'll just shut Colin up and we'll just do it. But no passion. They will reluctantly evangelize here and there, but no passion. People of God, let's get passion back. Loving obedience can only be made in response to God's love. The love which he first, with which he first loved us. So what we need, dear friends, more than anything else, is a continual, ongoing experience of God's grace. To be convinced that God's will is good. That his will is life-giving, not life-denying. And this, of course, means we have to make a faith commitment to obedience based on the rejection of the old lie that satisfaction is found in sin. And embrace the truth. That righteousness and holiness lead to joy and fulfillment. And in short, that Christ is the only pathway to fulfillment and satisfaction. Then Jesus says in verse, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Does this mean that God will only love those who first love him? Is this what John means? He cannot possibly mean that. Please don't interpret this verse like that. That God will only love you if you first love him. Because John later on in his epistle says, we love because he first loved us. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And now, it's a response to that love, which brings us closer to it than ever before. He gives us His love freely. But if we want to enjoy it, and grow in it, and experience it, there's only one way. We have to walk with Him. And wherever He walks, it's the path of righteousness. We can't say, Jesus, I want some fellowship with you. I, I, will you come and meet me over here? Where are you going? I'm going in the path of unrighteousness. I'm going my own way. Well, Jesus, I, you know, <laughs> I'm going my way. And this is where I am. If you want to walk with me, you've got to come here because I'm, I'm not going to go and go your way. Come. Where I am, there my servant must be. Amen. So he will still be with us wherever we go, but we will not know him and enjoy the intimacy of relationship that can only be revealed when we draw close to his heart and walk according to the desires of his heart. So this is a promise which is grounded in grace, not on works. The obedience that Jesus is talking about is obedience rooted in the true gospel obedience. 
The obedience of faith in action. It's not action or deeds in order to be loved, but it is putting our faith in His love in action. And when we do that, we experience His love more than ever before. This is the reward of grace. Ever deepening experiences of intimacy and fullness. You experience the love of God when you commit to it. By what you do. And trust that He will come through for you. And show you what He can do for you and be to you. It's exactly the same as the verse we quoted. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's exactly the same as the verse we quoted. Prove and approve the good, perfect and pleasing will of God. So Jesus says, he who loves me will be loved by the Father. Meaning, he, he will experience the Father's love. So if you're going to experience the Father's love, you must yield to it. Amen? Suppose you had somebody who loved you. And you never took their calls, never picked up their text messages, and never answered their emails. How far would you grow in that person's love? That person's going to love you anyway. You understand me? They're going to love you anyway. But in order to grow in that love and to experience it, you've got to read the emails. You've got to answer the texts. You've got to pick up the call. I'll tell you something. The phone is ringing now. You better answer it. Jesus is on the line. There's a text coming now, right now, into your spirit. There's an email waiting for you in your inbox. The Word of God is fresh every day. And as you cultivate that and hear His Word to you and, and He says, come meet me and you meet Him, you will experience Him. If He says, come meet you, me and you don't meet Him, you won't experience Him, you'll miss Him. What do you do when you hear the voice of the Lord God walking in your garden? What do you do? Do you run away and say, I'm hiding because I'm naked and I'm ashamed and I'm afraid? Or do you run into His presence and say, thank you that you have clothed me with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Come, let us walk together. Hallelujah. Amen. He who loves me will be loved of the Father in a way that the disobedient, even as believers, will never experience. Amen. It's not about being saved or not being saved. That's settled. It's about how much of Jesus you experience. How much of His peace, how much of His kingdom, how much of His love, how much of His joy. And you can only experience it when you are walking with Him. And He's treading the paths of righteousness. Psalm 23, beautiful psalm. We read it, well we think we're so familiar with it. It's good to come back to it. Time and again and, and read it with new eyes and fresh heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Think of the inner conviction. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's how David is reasoning. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because my shepherd is a good shepherd, because he always takes care of his sheep, and because he is my shepherd, therefore I will lack nothing. So where do I want to be? With the Lord. Who else can say that the Lord is your... Who else can say that they're your shepherd? 
that will take care of every need, the deepest longings of your life. Who else but the Lord? But that's a faith conviction, isn't it? To live like that. We say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, but we seek satisfaction and pleasure in everything else but the Lord and come occasionally on Sundays to say, God bless mommy and daddy. Amen. It's easy to make this confession, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But then take the wrong turn because we don't believe he's going to come through for us. We're saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in this instance, I better get it myself because I don't really trust him. See how deep the psalm is? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Hallelujah. That's the rest. That's the rest. This isn't striving. This is about, oh, I better see how much I can obey him today. So this time next week, I can come back with a testimony. He loves me. I know he loves me because I've obeyed him six out of ten times. No. He makes me to lie down in his presence in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. No striving. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Then skip to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise of those who walk in righteousness. I read a testimony this week of a woman whose life before Christ, B.C. Ah, the word that I have to describe it, I can only think of in French. So we'll let it go. But you can just fill in. My, my, my. Colorful, to say the least. She came to Christ. And they sat her down and said, Lady, uh-uh. No way. Lady, you got to change. And she said, why? And they said, look here. What? You mean? I have to follow this? Well, if you say so, you're the believers, tell me. So she began to put off the old stuff, bit by bit. And she said everything that she let go, she just cried. Oh, God, I love that. No more of that. Oh. And it was not superficial. She felt as if her very life was being taken away from her. All the things that she trusted in, all the things that she gave pleasure, and she was not an unhappy woman. She was not an unhappy woman. But she wanted to learn to love God. And every time something was taken away, and she began to walk in the new way, what she got in return was not quick enough and good enough to make her feel good. She said, ever since I've become a Christian, it's been awful. What a great testimony. <laughs> ever since I came to Christ, life has been terrible. The pressures that have been upon me, all the stuff that's got to go out is so painful, it's horrible. I don't feel good. I feel bad. I, I'm, I'm feeling the worst I've felt in all my life. That was her testimony. True. But then she said, and I wouldn't change this for anything. Because I've tasted reality. 
It's what life is all about. I feel together, I'm quoting her word for word, I feel together for the first time in my life. Do you know what? So much is difficult and I'm feeling so bad in so many areas, but deep down inside, I am feeling whole. And what she did not know, because she was a new believer, was the wholeness she was speaking about is the greatest gift of God. And the Hebrew word for it is shalom. Wholeness. Peace. I'll tell you, friend, that deep peace on the inside is worth every turbulence on the surface of your life. The deepest storms that can affect you never go to the very depth of the ocean. And at the very depth of your experience is a shalom, a wholeness, a peace that you know it's your whole, your clean. Outside God, there's so much work to do. And you know the amazing thing is, she discovered, I didn't read the, had know about the end of the testament, but I know she will have discovered that, like we all discover, that you know what is painful for the moment afterward yields the peaceful fruit. In other words, that shalom on the inside starts to manifest in shalom type fruit on the outside. And that's Christian maturity. It is a walk of faith. It is a walk of faith. Sometimes every nerve in your body is telling you go in the other direction. But because of a prior commitment to the vision of his love for you, you say, no way. I nail it to the cross so that I can experience the life of Jesus. That is the reward of righteousness. And I know that it's made you thirsty and hungry for more of his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we truly do hunger and thirst for righteousness. We know there are many battles in our mind and our thinking, and we find it so difficult to reject the lie that our way is best and sin is best for us and satisfies us. But we know that you, Jesus, for who you are, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life, you are not just the fountain of life, but the tree of life. And we take that fruit and choose it every time. Forgive us, God, where we failed. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and grant that we might experience the rewards of love, the rewards of righteousness. Katika jina la Yesu. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big praise. Amen.